0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together.
1: We are going to go in our Bibles together this morning to Matthew's Gospel. We're in the fifth chapter. It's good to see each and every person who is here this morning. Welcome to you. Uh, Welcome guests, welcome those who are worshiping online, wherever you might be. Let me just tell you as a full disclosure that this sermon is, I feel much like a little boy swimming in a big ocean in this sermon. And I think you are going to come to understand why I'm saying that as we progress through the text today. Now remember, Jesus, in this section in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he is exposing the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day. So we've heard over and over where they had an understanding. You've heard it said, and Jesus says six times in the section, today is number five, but I say to you. And he speaks with authority. That's how the whole Sermon of the Mount ends, is people say, he teaches with authority, not like what we're used to hearing. This is the word of the Lord as we have gathered today. And those religious leaders were twisting the law of Moses to no end. We've already seen in this section that Jesus dealt with anger, lust, divorce, and truthfulness, And then we gathered last Sunday, and Stephen opened the Word and encouraged us in the story of the cross, the simple gospel. Today, Jesus unpacks for us about revenge. Revenge. Now, just think of how many movies, how many books, how many people have committed crimes based on, I don't get mad. I get even, all right? You know, this sermon, my wife always teases me of, uh, you know, in, in, uh, I think it's Dumb and Dumber where the snowball fight happens and one little snowball is thrown, and I'm the guy that's like, wow, and I just respond and we laugh about that, but I've had not much opportunity to laugh as I've been studying this sermon because it's so convicting, There's no shortage of fighting for our our rights today. Perhaps the most familiar words about human rights comes from the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. Most people remember these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created what? Equal. 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 That they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, unalienable rights, can't be taken from you rights because the Creator gave them to you. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many people know this very well. And there's great wisdom, and there's immense safety in a nation's judicial system and branches of government that are founded upon those Judeo-Christian principles. But here's the problem, beloved. Freedom is freedom to do what we ought to do. Freedom is not freedom to do whatever we want to do. And when we come to Jesus confronting the religious leaders of his day, they were twisting the law of Moses to say, you can do whatever, basically whatever you want to do. So long as you didn't do the first offense, then you can go after him. And you can go jugular if you need to. Fighting for rights continues to escalate really in every demographic of society. If we look at what has happened last year, There was great disgust by one part of the nation as another part of our nation proceeded to march and riot and burn and and loot. And then it happened in January, primarily by a different group of people, and then people are stuck between, can I call what is wrong wrong and what is right right, or is it only wrong when it's against my rights? And so people who poll the political winds are stuck, held to, well, that seems wrong, but that's my cause. So can I really say that's wrong? I had somebody once tell me, you'd be a good politician. I said, do you really know me? <laughs> I don't think you know me at all. Just think about what we hear about so much In our day, we hear about civil rights, women's rights, the right to bear arms, the right to vote, children's rights, workers' rights, gay rights, animal rights, Miranda rights, the rights to free health care, the right to free education, the right to abortion, which I might say is murder in the womb, and there's forgiveness for that. The right to free housing, the right to work, the right to free press, the right of free speech, and the list goes on, and we're not here to unpack all of those rights, but those rights generally find people who are very loyal to them, and they will give, and they will even die to fight for these rights. This debate is lively Here's the problem. John MacArthur says it this way. Inordinate concern for one's own rights comes from inordinate selfishness and leads to inordinate lawlessness. When our supreme concern is getting and keeping what we think is rightfully ours, then whoever or whatever gets in our way, including the law, becomes expendable. When self-interest dominates, justice is replaced by vengeance. Those are powerful words. So the question for us who are here this morning who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, the question is this, do we fight for our rights like everyone else does? Or is there something different about us? The kind of life that Jesus described here in this sermon is new life. You can't do what, I can't do what he said in my own power. Matter of fact, I don't even want to do what he said in my own power. What Jesus said is offensive to humanity. He's talking about an upside down life of those who have been born again into God's kingdom. And this sermon exposes everyone who doesn't really belong to Christ because they have no desire to even try to do what Jesus said. Not for the long haul. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, let's go ahead and dive into this section. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if he, anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Disciples of Jesus Christ must not fight for their rights lest they win their case and lose their testimony. There's three reasons. We're going to unpack these today. Three reasons why. Jesus' disciples lay down their rights. Why? Why? for the glory of God and the good of their fellow man. Now think about this. Would you rather be in a group, maybe whether it be a home, a family, a marriage, a church, a workplace, a school, a community, a nation? Do you want to be in that environment where every man is out for himself? Okay, often that's called dog-eat-dog. Or do you want to be in a group a family, a church, a workplace, a nation, where everyone is to serve others. It comes at a cost. You see, we all want that when, are you setting this up that others are serving me? (laughs) Ha ha, yes, that sounds really good for me. But Jesus is saying, this is upside down, this is countercultural, this isn't like anything that just happens naturally. This requires new birth. So three reasons. Reason number one is Jesus' divine correction. This is a big negative here. This is a big stop. This is a big no. This is a big you have it wrong, religious teachers and leaders. Your traditions are wrong. Verse 38, you have heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I say to you. All right, so he's, he's saying stop. You need a correction here. Course Correct. The law was provided by God. And that's where the Lord starts in this one. It's a direct quote from the Old Testament. These are divine laws. The context is essential if we're going to understand this passage in any passage of Scripture properly. We have to know the context. So we go back to the Old Testament. God delivered his law through Moses to his people. The Ten Commandments are a universal moral code for all humanity. You can go anywhere on planet Earth, and we know it's wrong to go next door and take your neighbor's goat and bring it home to yours and just say, What? Doesn't matter what language you speak, you just can't go next door and say, Oh, you know, we're one child short and yours are strong. We'll just take one. Well, they've never read the Ten Commandments, but it's written on their heart. They know that's wrong. You can't do that. That's stealing. We were created to worship, beloved. There are also in the Old Testament civic laws to guide Israel. How would Israel live and not die with God the Creator in their camp? They needed these civic laws. They needed these criminal civil justice standards. We know the importance of justice. Why is it important? Because God is just. It comes from his character. So if you remove God from the scene, as we have tried desperately to do in our nation, what do you think will be the result? Why do you want justice? And actually, what is justice? What is just, what is fair? What's the standard? If you say it's left and I say it's right, who's over us to say here is what is right and here is what is wrong? True justice stems from God's holiness and God's goodness. God is love, therefore God hates evil. All that is against his character, all that is destructive. But the desire for revenge, it burns in all of us. And it is most obvious in our closest relationships. Listen to what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says this. He says, if any harm is done to us, the immediate natural instinct is to hit back. And not only that, here I am, but to do more than hit back. This whole tendency to wrath and anger, to retribution and retaliation, is there at the very depths of human nature. I don't know, I don't know how many times I've, I've said the Ginger when we're goofing around, Oh, and then she's, you know, I say, hey, you grab the bull, you can get the horns, you know, or something like that, and we're joking, like, ha ah. this type of rage that jesus is talking about we've already talked about anger and excessive revenge it's throughout all human history all the way back to genesis chapter 4 listen to what we read about lamech the father of noah that he became the judge the jury and the executioner genesis 4:23 lamech said to his wives okay not god's plan one woman one man for life he so said, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. What, they forgot? That's a great man here, isn't it? And she reminds remind you who you belong to. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. You want to be married to that guy? Don't mess with me. I'll show you who's in control. I'll show you who's boss, who's more powerful. The law that Jesus quoted was given to judges for prevention. It was given for restrain, to restrain revenge. It was provided by God to hold back evil. The punishment was to fit the crime and not exceed the crime because God is just. It's it's rooted in his character. This principle would take care of countless senseless lawsuits if applied today. Oh, you ran into my car. Oh, oh, what's the number? Quick, get the guy on TV. Get the guy on TV. I'm going to get everything out of you. And people, even Christians, they will sue They will try to get everything they can to milk everything to get paid. That's not the life that Jesus has called us to. It bears no resemblance at all. The Old Testament law here expressed is the lex talionis, all right? This is the principle. This is the principle of exact retribution. Israel was not the only civilization, people to have this. There were other civilizations that had the same code. And we have to remember when we read the Old Testament and we're reading through the Old Testament that God's law was to set his people apart as different. So when we read back in the Old Testament, that nation stood out in the middle of the nations as different. Obviously different. In, in uh, phrases today that we're familiar, tit for, tat, right? Uh, Quid pro quo. Something for me, something for you. It's back and forth. This is an equal trade that the law was to restrain, to prevent revenge. That's why God's law was given. Exodus 21, just three passages from the Old Testament to help us with this. Judges were the ones to determine consequences. When, and then in, in Exodus 21, when a pregnant woman, woman was injured or killed during the fight. So two guys, you know, they start having a brawl, there's a lady who is pregnant and she is injured, then what is to happen in this case? Exodus 21, 23. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Very detailed. Now, keep that in mind. Leviticus 24, judges were given and put in place for justice. Verse 17, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. It's the death penalty because you've taken what only God can give and take away. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done so, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall, be, shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. Why? Because God loves life. That's what's lost in the argument. God values life. So there's a prevention of retaliation, of revenge. It was given to Not individuals, the court system in Israel, the judges. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15 through 21. The importance of multiple and truthful witnesses in a trial so that a proper verdict could be reached. Verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrongdoing in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person, a person of wrongdoing, like they would in Jesus' day against him, verse 17, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and accused, has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother, kind of like Haman's gallows. In the book of Esther. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear. Now listen to what happens. What is the intention by God? The rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. What's the significant thing about Lady Justice? And her eyes. They're blindfolded. Wealthy or poor that's not to influence. Whatever your ethnicity, your nationality, that's not to influence because of this verse right here. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Is that the world we live in? Is that how our justice system operates today? (laughs) Oh, no. Throughout our history? As a nation? No. Even though we wrote... All lives are created equal. Did we live practicing that? No, not for a long time, far too many years. And people shed their blood and died for liberty for every single person in this nation. Don Carson says it this way. He said, God gives by concession a legal regulation as a dam against the river of violence which flows from man's evil heart. These laws hold back. What if we could do and not get in trouble for? Would you really like to drive to work on 94 if there was no punishment for road rage? (laughs) It's bad enough already. I said 94. How about Main Street in Richmond? I've been passed two times in the middle of the intersection by St. A's and uh, Dairy Queen by somebody mad, just angry, angry, passing through the, i'm like all right where's richmond police right now where are they where are they justice i haven't been in the paper yet for any revenge so that's a good thing all right i may have flashed my bright lights at him for being dangerous the law that jesus quoted here was also given to judges not just for protection against or for prevention but also protection protection against revenge. The Lord cared about men. He cared about women. He cared about children. He cared about those who were free. He cared about those who were enslaved. He cared about the rich and the poor. He cared about Israel. He cared about the strangers, the foreigners, the people from other nations. He's saying, "In in my people, no Wild West. Vigilante posses. Just doing whatever they want. No Hatfield and McCoys. Not to restrain evil, beloved, is neither just nor kind. So those who would say, just, you know, criminals, you just go. Just go free. That's not just, and it's not kind, and it's not loving. Leviticus 24, 22, God cares about all peoples, and so he says this. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native. Why? for I am the Lord your God. I'm over everyone. I care about everyone. So you just don't take care of your friends and abuse those who are outside of your circle or have a different skin color than yours. Well, that was the law, and it was provided by God. So what happened? The law was perverted by religious men. Their traditions passed down from religious and powerful men, not God. That's the big difference here. God's law for the good of people, religious man's tradition, never good for people. It's good for the people who are in power. It's not good for the people. And Jesus walks on the scene, much like Martin Luther, when he posted the 95 Thesis, and it was not well-received. But this is what the Bible says. This is what God intended. Anathema to you. That's what they did to Jesus. They had perverted the law. The law that was intended to prevent revenge, to limit retaliation, to restrain evil, was twisted by religious leaders, and they wrongly taught that actually God, his law, endorsed revenge. It actually insisted upon retaliation. In other words, they would take the same verse and say, oh, God said, eye for an eye, go get him. Not so. Jesus confronted them boldly. Remember how they said that about divorce? Didn't Moses give us the, just go get your certificate and get your divorce already. And Jesus said, no, you've, missed, you've, you've completely messed that up. He only gave that as a provision to prevent further, greater wrongdoing. Out of the hardness of your hearts. So disciples of Jesus will lay down their rights for God's glory and man's good when they embrace Jesus' divine correction. Do you like to be corrected? I hate it. Eh, You know you're wrong. What? What is this concept that you speak of? I I can get into it with my family, I lost an argument this week over over a chicken, making chicken in our house, and and me and Sophie going back and forth. And she's like, "No, this is what mom said to do with it." I was like, "Hey, this is the way." And I said, "We'll see." She won. I lost. My chicken was like shoe leather. Leather. Her chicken was good. I was like, "I lost. I don't like to be wrong." I knew the sermon was coming, so I didn't retaliate. All right. What about his instruction then? Jesus' divine instruction. And don't miss that word divine. He's God in flesh and he's giving a correction and he's giving an instruction. And so we need to listen up. We need to consider what is Jesus saying here? What did he actually mean? And who is he directing his message to? And how then do we obey what he taught? We have to have the context here. He's saying, first of all, don't. Do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. The original Greek word there, me is this. To set oneself against. To withstand or oppose. So taking on somebody. To resist, to go after someone. Jesus is saying, don't, don't do that. Now, this text has been intensely debated and wrongly understood and then misapplied by many throughout the past 2,000 years. Notice, Jesus was not in Caesar's palace. He was not in the Jewish Sanhedrin telling them, here's what you are supposed to do, and then I'll be hopping on the boat, and I'll be headed over to Philippi, and then I'll be headed over here, and then I'll be taking this message to... That's not what he was doing. He is out on a mountain talking to his disciples, his followers, those who belong to him. So think about this. He's saying, do not resist the one who is evil. Here, ingrained in what Jesus is saying is a willingness to be wronged. To be personally wronged and not seek revenge. Not seek vindication. Do you know how hard this is? Uh, this, you know what i this is impossible. I mean, come on, husbands and wives. How many arguments are spent focusing on, but you misunderstood me. But that's not what I was saying. But, 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 but no, you know, I, I back and forth and back and forth, like ping pong match never ending. And Jesus saying, my followers, listen, we are to resist Satan. We are to resist evil in the church. Paul withstood Peter to his face over the gospel, and he, and he offended the, the new Gentile converts when he excused himself from the table. In, in Galatians, it's recorded. And the Gentiles are like, wait a second, you were eating with us, and then your Jewish friends show up, and now you're, now you're, you're too good for us? I thought you said the gospel saves us whether we eat pork or we don't eat pork. And now you left our table. And Paul got to him and said, we're going to talk. What you did was wrong. And he bestood him to his face. But didn't Jesus say, don't resist the evil one? Context. You have to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus resisted those who were evil. He made a whip and drove them out of the temple. So to take a, some people do this. Many people do this. You read one thing, lift it up, and out of it comes... The movie Hacksaw Ridge? Conscientious objector? Saying Jesus said don't take up arms? But who is Jesus talking to? He's not talking to governments. He's not talking to police departments. There are those who have come and said defund the police because Jesus said there shouldn't be. And think about this down through two examples through history. The Russian writer Tolstoy, uh, he wrote War and Peace. He proposed in his thesis that the elimination of police and the military, along with other social reforms, would bring about heaven on earth. Here, in that type of a utopian society, he died November seventh, nineteen ten. Anybody remember nineteen ten? Good year. Have things? uh, How how are we doing? How's our daily news? How's our culture? How's our world doing? Have we seen this yet? Now, one individual that picked up on his writings was Gandhi. Gandhi picked up on his writings. And I I will say this about what Tolstoy proposed. Whenever defund the police movements, take root and grab hold, they end up hurting the most vulnerable of the community citizens. Because police, Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, are given for a reason. That is not to endorse everything that's done by a police department. Justice needs to happen inside of a police department. Righteousness must be in the police department. And anyone who works in criminal justice in these offices, they know how difficult it is to live and to work through and go through that type of a career. It's, it's, it takes a toll on them. They see the worst of society. Same thing goes for military. So when there are righteous people who are in positions, in leadership positions, then they influence those. There's light. There's there's witness. There's justice. There's righteousness in those environments. When the light goes out, innocent people are hurt. You can't even keep track of those who are murdered in our cities. It's awful. Gandhi was inspired by Tolstoy's work. He received the message from the Russian, and this is what Tolstoy wrote to Gandhi. He said, do not resist evil. But also, do not yourselves participate in evil. What does he mean? In the violent deeds of the administration of the law courts, the collection of taxes, and what is more important, of the soldiers, and no one in the world will enslave you. What is he saying? By being one who does not resist evil, don't ever join the police force, don't join in a court system, don't be part of that whole thing, stand against it. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Some have taken Jesus' teaching to mean that believers who are citizens are barred from serving in the military, the police, or the government. But Romans 13, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 all deal with there is government. Government is ordained by God, it's instituted by God. It has a purpose, a divine purpose. Now, whether it fulfills that or departs from that, that is for the good or the hurt, the harm of the citizens of that nation. John Stott says it this way He says, Our duty to individuals who wrong us is not retaliation but the acceptance of injustice without revenge or redress. Ouch. So much for, I don't get mad, I get even. Hmm. So then what are we to do? When followers of Christ, and we're going to look at these four areas, what are we supposed to do when our rights are trampled on? These are very familiar sayings that are impossible to do on our own. So Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist the evil one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What is he talking about? He's talking about being insulted. This is a severe insult, and in our culture, in our day, we don't quite understand this, but if you were in a a Middle Eastern culture, To be struck on the cheek was more offensive than to be beat on your back because it put your dignity out there that you you deserve this. You're, You're less than human to be struck on the cheek. And what does Jesus say? When you're insulted, turn the other cheek. This is a laying down of our personal right to dignity. If someone slaps someone, In the cheek and it was undeserved there were serious severe fines given to that person for making a false accusation like that in the middle eastern culture what's the common sign of peace and friendship they kiss one another on the cheek right it's side to side there's a there's a greeting and when you slap someone you're treating them as less than human And Jesus is saying, "Offer them the other cheek." They would have said, "This is crazy. This is ridiculous." Well, he says, "Let me find another gear here." Yeah, here's second, verse forty. And if anyone would sue you and take away your tunic, all right, your shirt, let them have your cloak as well, your coat. So when my disciples are treated unfairly, give away your tunic and coat. Now, here is a lawsuit. This is generally what would happen. You'd be taken to court. You lose your case. You lose your shirt. Old Testament forbid taking someone's coat. You couldn't keep someone's coat overnight because if you had their coat, that meant that was their warmth. They were at risk of dying. And whatever the cause was, if it wasn't you committed murder, then you can't let that person die because they owe you. You have to give them their coat. And Jesus is saying, now listen to what I'm saying to my followers. If somebody sues you for your shirt, the shirt off my back, give them your coat. So lay down our rights to personal property. Yeah, this is a really easy message to preach. Well, he finds a third gear here. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Two miles. Well, when the disciples of Jesus are in convenience, Jesus is saying, go the extra mile. You've heard that, haven't you? Go the extra mile. Let's go the extra mile. What is Jesus teaching here? He was in a context of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire authorities were in control, and a soldier. And this is, this is where it would be an insult that they were subjugated to Rome. And if you're out laboring in your field, you're watching your kids, you're doing whatever, and a soldier stops by your house and yells at you and says, come grab my military pack. You were obligated to carry that pack one mile. A Roman mile was just a little shorter than our mile and guaranteed they had it marked out from their house what a mile was, and when they reached that last step, they could throw that whole heavy military bag down, and they could go back to what they were doing, fussing and fuming the whole entire way back, and they had nothing to say about it because they had no freedom. And Jesus is saying, My followers, lay down your rights to your freedom. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm. And Jesus is saying, hold on a second. If you're going to be my followers, there's going to be something different about you. And you're going to get to the mark in the road, and you're carrying that nasty, smelly, heavy bag of this enemy army that's imposing on you, living, and you're subjugated to them. And when you get to that mile, he's going to say, and he's going to expect it to fall on the ground, and you're going to say, and keep walking, and that soldier's gonna say, what are you doing? It's okay, I'll I'll walk with you further. Okay. What do you think he's gonna ask? Why? Well, you see, there was a man from Nazareth and his name was Jesus. And he came and he lived the life that I could never live. And he went to a Roman cross. You've probably heard about this. Yeah, I have heard about this. And he was crucified on that cross, and he died. You probably remember a Roman centurion put a spear in his side to make sure that he was dead. Yeah, we did our job. And they took him down off that cross, and Pilate signed off on it and said it was okay. And they put him in a borrowed tomb. Have you been there? the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Have you visited that place? Because it's empty now. He rose the third day and there was no empire, no army, no military. No one could keep him in the grave because I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God and he came and lived and died my death and I have given my life to him and I've laid down my rights and he is Lord and you may serve a mighty emperor, but I serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords and when he said go two mile, I'm all in. Matter of fact, you want to go three, I'll go three. Now put yourself in the shoes of that Roman soldier. This is, this is amazing. What argument does that Roman soldier have to this peasant, this subjugated person who is held by a higher, greater law, the law of liberty? That yes, I'm bound in Rome, But I'm free in heaven because Jesus won my case. And so your soul, Roman soldier, your life made in the image of God, though I disagree with you, though I can't stand what is happening here, you are more valuable to me than dropping this backpack and heading back to my house the way I used to, fuming mad, blaming God, where's our freedom, Where's this Messiah? Because I've been set free. Put that in every mouth, in every believer throughout the Roman Empire, and what do you have? You have a massive, massive Christian witness that is, you can't shut that down. You can't fight against this. This, you can't win this war because it's not fought with swords And daggers, it's with the word of God embraced by the hearts of the followers of Jesus. And that Roman soldier after mile two or possibly mile three would put that pack back up and that person is walking on the way saying, I pray that you come to know Christ. Why don't you check it out? Why don't you ask? Around and do some investigation on your own about who this Jesus of Nazareth is. And he's walking, carrying that pack on down, thinking, I need to find another Christian. I have more questions. Instead of these Christians, who do they think they are? Hypocrites. Does this sound a little different than what we know in Christian America today? Some of the debacle that we've seen in the past months of people calling themselves Christians. Does it look anything like this? Do we look anything like this? Inconvenienced. You've laid down your rights over your own time and freedom. And then Jesus finds another gear. Verse 42, give to to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you when you're imposed upon when I'm imposed upon give give to those who beg or borrow now Jesus is saying that his disciple has no rights over their wealth huh. that church is always about money you know they're just always talking about money and Jesus is saying If you belong to me, your coat, your dignity, your freedom, your wealth, you belong to me and I get everything with you. Or you don't belong to me. That's why he said you have to lay down your life. You have to die to you. This isn't a, a shared little bit of Jesus on the side, catch it every now and then when I can, when you know my schedule frees up a little bit. This is all-in living. This is countercultural. If someone begs or borrows, give it to them. Do you know what they would have been saying? Who does this guy think he is? If they didn't belong to him and know who he is. Jesus expects his disciples to be generous with what God has entrusted to them. That's at the heart here. Now there are other places in scripture that said if a man work shall not work, neither shall he eat, and so we have to be wise in what in how we help others because sometimes just giving money isn't actually helping them. So this isn't just liquidate all your resources and go just, you know, spread it out of a plane over a city. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, be generous in your heart and be ready to help others the way that God has helped you. Now, I'm studying, I'm reading this. I'm playing back places that I've been, cities that I've been, and there have been people who have begged, and I've justified myself, but I will tell you something. I've always walked away from somebody I didn't help with something just piercing me in my heart as if something doesn't quite vindicate me, although I feel like my argument should vindicate me. Like I, something still feels off. Well, you should get a job. Everybody can get a job. There's help wanted signs everywhere. All of these arguments that I can go through to say I did okay to not be generous and Jesus just says, you're wrong. Again. Be generous. And if you have the ability and someone needs a loan, it was forbidden in the Old Testament for Israelites to charge interest to their fellow Israelites, their brothers, because God was always reminding them you were slaves in Egypt and I set you free. And to be set free by borrowing, by lending to to someone money interest-free is pointing them to the one who everything has come from and you have to remind each other of this. Why would anyone do this? I mean, this is crazy. What Jesus said, he's either God or he is insane. That's the question that you have to work through. Who says this kind of stuff to people? This is not what, you know, famous people often say, like, yeah, the teachings of Jesus, you know, they're pretty good. They're good. They help you. They help you in your life and you take some of those teachings from Jesus and they'll make your life better. Did you listen to what Jesus said? I mean, really listen to him. Do you really understand what he's saying here? This is not your best life now. This is anything but that because you have a best life forever and ever and ever and none of us deserve it. And it was purchased for us at the cross. So this teaching, it's like me being at the dentist this last week. And they, whew, thank the Lord for the, you know, whatever they put in to numb you and your face falls halfway. And I have that picture. Jesus is just hitting right on the nerves of what really controls our life, what really drives our life. This teaching exposes the person who has no desire to obey, now now that might be you today. So here are people saying, man, I'm really struggling with this. I'm not sure I fully understand this, but I want to understand it and I want to obey Jesus. I pray that's you. Then there's the person who's like, I'm not doing this. This This is ridiculous. This is crazy. It's my time, my clothes, my house. You know, my, my, mine. it's all mine. So here you have people who are either in need of salvation or in need of sanctification. People who need to be saved, need to be born again, and then their heart is changed, their desires are changed. And what they once despised and hated, now they realize that's the pearl of great price in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll give up everything, my time, my dignity, my reputation, everything to know Christ. And those who know Christ, and this strikes us, and we struggle with this, and it hits us in areas that are really close to home, it doesn't necessarily say that you don't know Christ and you need to be saved, but what it says is you need to grow on, you need to mature, you need to go on in sanctification. In other words, there's still areas in your heart, in my heart, in our lives that God is reshaping and remaking for his glory. In other words, he's not done yet. And the disciple says, Lord, keep working in me. Thank you that you're patient, and keep working in me for your glory. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of, law, of, of, of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So it sounds like, Pastor, you're trying to say, and what Jesus is saying, and what Paul is saying, it sounds like if we're Christians, then we're supposed to be doormats? I'm not going to be anybody's doormat. You ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever said that? Take heart, all right? Jesus is not calling us to be doormats. It's what Spurgeon said. He's calling us to be anvils. Anvils. We are to be as the anvil when bad men are the hammers. That one line Struck me. Do you see the difference? I'm being a doormat and an anvil. Jesus is not calling his people to be just lay there and you're you're you know. He's calling us to be anvils. This is resolute this is firm, this abides, this remains, this is resolved, this, we know who we are, we know who's called us, we know why we're here, we know what we're doing to make disciples, because people need to know Christ, and it's worth our lives expended for the glory of God and the good of our fellow man, amen? That's why we're here, that's why we'll take risks, because people matter, lives matter. Well, We've seen his correction. Jesus gave correction. Jesus gave this instruction. But why would anybody really follow him? We've heard what he said. The last reason is most compelling it's his illustration. He illustrated this with his life, he didn't just say, Go do this. And you're wrong for not doing this. We were, we are. And you need to try harder and do better. Not enough. Jesus said, follow me. In other words, he led the way to go. And he said, follow me. His illustration is in the person of Jesus Christ. This is where we ask the question, who exactly is this one teaching? If you were to walk up on the Sermon on the Mount and you hear this this carpenter preaching, that's the question you would say, who is this guy? Why is everybody around him? Why are they listening to him? And what is he saying? Who is this individual? He is God incarnate. The eternally uncreated creator. The second person of the triune God, John chapter 1 In verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, through Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. This is who's speaking, Colossians 1.17. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, Christ, all things hold together. You know how I'm held together today? It's Christ holding me together. It's his word. He is God in flesh. He's the Messiah King. This is the theme of Matthew. He is the Messiah King, Matthew 16. In verse 15, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is the Messiah King who is speaking. He is the one who has all authority. He's sovereign. No one tells him what to do. He's in control, complete control. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given where? It's all him. It's all his. So the person of Jesus Christ is important. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, it answers the question what did he do? These are the questions they would have had. Who's speaking? And and what is this gospel? What did Jesus do? He, remember these four that we just saw here, when insulted, treated unfairly, inconvenienced, imposed upon. Okay, what was Jesus' illustration? How did he live? Well, he laid down his rights to dignity. He was insulted. He was slapped in the face. He was beaten to the point of being unrecognizable. Isaiah 50 and verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, So offensive. John 18, When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? You see what they're doing? They're breaking their own law. And they don't care because they want revenge on him. Jesus laid down his rights to dignity. Jesus laid down his right to protection. He said, give away your coat. If they sue you for your shirt, give away your coat. Well, what did he do? He hung on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, naked. And what was happening at the foot of his cross? They were gambling over his clothes. He didn't say one thing and do another, beloved. Matthew twenty-seven thirty-five. and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. You think his disciples, you think his mother, you think the women who were gathered there, you think the Roman soldiers that watched this, that heard this, that understood this message, do you think that they put these things together? I do. Jesus laid down his rights to convenience, to freedom. He could have demanded that his disciples serve him, but instead he loved them to the end. He served them and he served us very well. In Matthew 20 and verse 28 says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the servant king. And he's asking his disciples, follow me. Follow me, follow me. He laid down his rights to wealth. He owns it all. He owns everything and yet he humbled himself and he chose the nails. Why? For you. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? Why? so that by his poverty, you might become rich. And he's saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. Then the question must be asked, well, if this is his person and this is his work, then why did he do all this? And the answer is simple, love. Why did he choose the cross? Why did he choose a simple lifestyle? A humble lifestyle. So beneath his dignity. Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love. Talking to the church. Paul writing to the church. As Christ loved us. Say that with me. Christ loved us. One more time. Christ loved us. There's our pattern. There's our example. There's our Lord. He loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God how are we going to outgive Jesus how are we going to outlove Jesus so what are we then supposed to do how should we respond to this kind of a sermon how should they have responded 2000 years ago to this sermon in the same way that we are to respond today in 1st Peter 2:21 Peter writes this For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might, say it with me, follow in his steps. What path are you on today? There's a path that leads to life that never ends and there's a path that leads to death. And Jesus is saying, Lay down your dignity, lay down your rights, and you'll find life that never ends. Fight for your rights, fight for your dignity, fight for your stuff, and it reveals there's something not finished in you yet. You either need to be saved or you need to repent. I need to repent and say, God, help me. What's your natural response? How do you naturally respond when wronged? It's not easy, is it? Somebody steps on your rights. What could be the outcome if our church embraces Jesus' message? If we live out this message in the power of the Holy Spirit and blood, we can't without Christ in us. The only person that can live this message is the one who can say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. No one else wants to live this message out. Have you been crucified with Christ? Then let me ask you this question, and we ask it every week. What's your next step? What is your next step to reject revenge, reflect God's love? What's your next step? Can we help you take that step today? We're here, we'll pray with you afterwards as we prepare to sing and respond in worship to, to this message. If you're online, you can reach out to us online. We want to help you take that step. Think about what God would do through us if we are wholly devoted to him. May God make that true in our, each and every life today. Let's stand together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're patient and merciful. I thank you that you are just You have not repaid us according to our sin. You have not repaid me according to my sin, but you have shown mercy and you do not approve of sin. You are not the author of sin. You will judge. You are the one who will bring vengeance, but it's always righteous. It's always right. It's always fair. It's always good. So when we are wronged, Lord, I need your help to surrender that to you to turn the case over to you, the higher throne, the judge who is judge over all. Thank you for Jesus, that he lived the life that I could never live, that he died the death that I deserved to die, and he rose to life again the third day, and he gives freely this life to all who will turn from their sin and trust in him. And Father, I pray that you will work in us your will and use us for your glory to impact those around us, Lord, for the glory of God and for the good of all peoples. Do this, we pray, in Jesus' powerful and mighty name. Amen.
0: Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.